I'm Kelly Coffey, CEO of City National Bank. Our Conversations podcast features in-depth interviews with innovative leaders from business, entertainment, and nonprofits. Listen and learn how to succeed in what I'm calling the next normal. Now is the time to rethink, reinvent, and renew yourself and your business. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Conversations podcast. I'm Linda Duncombe, Chief Marketing, Product, and Digital Officer at City National Bank. I'm thrilled to be back on Conversations to welcome a guest who is truly multi-talented. She began her acting career in the theatre in New York City, working off-Broadway, on-Broadway, national tours, and regional theatres. Today, she is a prominent business executive in Hollywood with a focus in advertising, media, and ad tech, and has worked on countless campaigns for major studios, networks, and Fortune 500 companies. Earlier this year, she expanded her role from Chief Marketing Officer to add the Chief Operating Officer role as well at Variety. She is a frequent contributor to industry trades and conferences with speaking appearances that include CMO Assembly, Women in Media, World Forum Disrupt, and many more. She is a transformational leader who consistently raises the bar for women in leadership positions across the world. It is my great pleasure to welcome my friend, Daya Lawrence. Daya, g'day. Welcome to the Conversations podcast. <laughs> Brenda, thank you so much. That's such a nice introduction, especially coming from you. You have had such an accomplished career. So that is very kind of you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And congratulations on your new expanded role. I was so excited when I saw that announcement. It's now Chief Marketing Officer, but also Chief Operating Officer at Variety. And, you know, I'm a huge fan and have enormous respect for Variety. Thank you. You truly deserve it. Thank you. Given your unique, oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Given your unique set of experiences, what made you fall in love with the world of marketing? What particular moment in time pushed you to pursue that as a career? Okay, that's a great question. So I had a very unconventional path to a career in marketing. I I was an actor, but I always did something on the side, you know, because I I really do love to shop. I'm quite a consumer. (laughs) I I don't believe in struggling. So I always had two jobs. I would always, you know, I was doing eight shows a week and I was selling real estate during the day. So as when I came to Los Angeles, I fell into this career, this, this job, which was my day job. It was at the Hollywood Creative Directory. And that launched my career in marketing. Our company was sold to a company called iFilm. And it was at this moment that uh, I I didn't really think I wanted to continue a business career, but I I had been out of town during this this Alan Akeborn show. And when I came back, the company sold to iFilm and I wasn't going to go with it and the stock market crashed. So I had to do it. And it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. I went to work at this place. They had hired all these fabulous marketers and artists and creative people from all the studios and the networks. Everyone was so brilliant and so engaged. I just fell in love with it. And I thought, this is kind of like putting on a show. And it was at that moment where I thought I really could have a career in marketing. And that's where I took off from there. I love that, you know, and I didn't start in marketing either. And I think when you come to marketing in your area of expertise, you bring that different lens because you've walked in the, the feet and the steps of those that you're trying to represent and talk to. Absolutely. So I think you bring that business side to it. When you think about that day, like, what do you think about, you know, throughout your whole career, you're now with this amazing brand variety. How do you use those experiences to have a 117-year-old brand remain relevant? Relevant. Absolutely. That's what I think about every single day, Linda, every day. How are we going to keep this brand alive for another 117 years? At its core, our business hasn't really changed. 
We still are the authoritative voice of the entertainment industry, and we still serve that community. But how we present the information has changed, right? So now we're very focused on social media. We, we have our business covers and we have our podcasts like Strictly Business and we are still that authoritative voice, but now we're branching out more to, you know, it more in uh, popular culture and taking more of these stories and making them more accessible. So we want to focus on a young audience so that we get people hooked on to variety and that they start to read it every single day, like the industry. We move very quickly. We move with speed. We take calculated risks we are always looking ahead and seeing around corners, seeing what is coming up, and then we take action. And I, and I think that part of the reason why we're, we're succeeding and why we're able to keep the brand moving so quickly is because of the people that work at Variety. Everyone's very passionate about it. And we listen, not just to what the community needs, but to what our partners need. And then we try and always deliver excellence. Yeah. And, you know, Dave, full credit to you and the team and, and everybody at Variety. I, you know, I, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but the way in, in the speed and grace of how your organization pivoted during COVID, I think is real credit to you. And you talk about um, one of the keys to success is to grow where you're planted, which I just love what the visual I get. Can you describe how you embody that ethos? And maybe talking a little bit about it would be terrific. Sure. Okay. So, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things in my life because when I was an actor, I had to keep moving around to, to find different ways to support myself. And sometimes w- when I hear people talk about how I don't really like my job. I want to change my life. I'm I'm miserable. I'm miserable. There's always opportunity right where you are. You just have to see it. You've got to open your eyes and really pay attention to what's going on right in front of you because there is opportunity and you just need to like grow where you're planted, like start to develop where you are before you go and make drastic changes in your life. There's always good where you are. And I think that sometimes people put their blinders on and they don't see it. I love that. You know, you think about if you're going to make a big change in life, I think really understanding all of the pros and cons of that and making sure like the grass is not always greener on on the other side. I think that's kind of another perspective to what you're saying, which I find really interesting. You know, we kind of touched a little bit on how innovative your organization is and how it's, it's started to to really lead, I think, how to pivot in a way that's graceful and seamless for your audience. Now that we've gotten to know you a little bit more, I, w- I would love to dive into your transformation work at Variety. Like prior to the pandemic, Variety p- was producing over 70 in-person events every year from summits. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was so fun, you know, summits to Q&As and even the breakfasts. And I I don't like getting up early for a breakfast, but I would for your breakfasts. And, you know, I, I mean, you, you think about how you evolved in that space to make sure we were still getting that really interesting, timely content. Like how have you seen Variety adapt during that? And do you see it changing much as we're coming out into the next norm after a horrendous few years? Well, I mean, I have to say the team was amazing. Okay. So it's the people that work at Variety that made this happen. We are all so devoted to this you know, like I, Variety's logo used to be green, and I always say we 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 bleed green, but because we just are committed to this brand. So when this happened, we all pivoted right away, and we had the advantage that there was somebody in the organization that had been looking at these technologies. So we immediately started analyzing tech. I mean, we did it like within 
like right away. We didn't hesitate. And then we pulled together, you know, we went to a couple of our clients and said, we think we can do this. And the first one was a little rough, you know. For all of us. <laughs> it was a little rough. <laughs> and then we, you know, like somebody forgot to plug in their computer and, <laughs> and, you know, things like that. Like Mike's not working. But then we got it together and we started doing best practice sheets and prepping people. And, and we tested all these technologies. And we found the right partner. And we, you know, we picked a couple of partners and we did like different, like this technology is going to work for this type of conversation for a larger conversation. We'll take it to a next level. We'll do an immersive experience. And we just did it. I mean, it, it was rough in the beginning, though, because, you know, whenever you're trying to affect change, which <laughs> I think that in order to evolve, you have to keep changing. Right. You got to you got to you can keep your core, but you got to be able to roll with it. Right. You got to it's life is a roller coaster and you just got to hang on tight. Yeah. You know, so people resist change. We like the idea of change, but we don't really want to do it. And we just were like, we're doing this and we did it and it worked. And then everybody started copying us. Yeah. I mean, you, I, you guys did a really good job Dave. You know, it's, it's funny. We have a, a similar phrase at City National Bank. We bleed the blue and, you know, we, we take it all um, so seriously. And it's a really good um, point about change. We all like to say it's needed, but when it affects us personally, we'll find a lot of reasons to try and not do it or to modify it. And I think we, the tragedy of what COVID <laughs> has been over the last few years, There, it was a do or die. You had to pivot or you, you may not have survived it. And I saw a stat in our industry that said the transformation in digital that we were expected to see in the next 10 years, we saw in the first 90 days. I mean, that that's like a, a tsunami of change coming at someone, right? And I, I feel like, you know, Variety really put their arms around it. So congratulations to, to all of you there. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you, we learned something very important during this. Prior to the pandemic, we'd always thought about, well, what if we did, you know, a virtual piece to our events? And, and we didn't want to do that because we were afraid that it would cannibalize it and that nobody would buy tickets to in-person and that they'll all just stay home and watch it. And now we realized we can do both. So that's what we're going to be doing. It doesn't, and we were able to data collect. Yeah. This allowed us to really build up a huge audience. And for your consideration, advertising is a big part of our business. And now we have much more information on voters, you know, more information on who the people are that tune into Variety. So it was really good for us. And now we're moving into hybrid. Yeah, I mean, hybrid's the new, <laughs> the new buzzword, isn't it? I say it's the buzzword. and strategy. It's the in-person and it's the digital. And That's right. talking about that, when you think about um, events that are in the pipeline for Variety, what what do you have coming up, whether it's hybrid, virtual, in-person, that, that has you excited? We're very excited about our Entertainment Marketing Summit. So this is a game changer for us. We just launched the site yesterday. It's our first hybrid event where we are having a true in-person experience. And then we are also allowing people to buy tickets to have the virtual experience. Good on you. Like, I think, you know, again, as we come out of it, there's going to be some things that will test and some will work better than others. And some um, concepts or content will just work better in hybrid environments versus others. And I, I, again, you guys are trailblazing. I remember when um, you know, COVID hit, you guys launched um, the the Variety Streaming Room, which I thought was really, right. really interesting, but another example of being kind of that tip of the spear of your industry and innovation and getting content out. Can you tell us about, um, when you think about that, are there more of those kinds of ideas in the works or those kind of platforms in the work where you think oh, yeah. the post 
COVID digital transformation at Variety? Yes. So we did over 200 virtual events, but now in it, you know, during Emmy season. So for people who don't really know our business, a lot of it is centered on the awards, right? For your consideration advertising. So for Emmy season, we're, we're still moving forward with the streaming room because you can get people who can't get go down to Highland and Hollywood and they don't want to drive an hour and a half at night to go watch whatever or to listen to a Q&A. They can, they can participate in, at home. And then we also were doing things like we did these FYC virtual houses. We did them from a couple of our clients. And so this year, what we're going to do with one of our clients, we're going to shoot an in-person experience and move it into this sort of 3D environment so that people who can't go can, can still participate. So we're going to see a lot of this crossover. And it is interesting. A lot of people are, some of our partners are saying, you know, we don't want virtual, really want in-person. And some of them are, st are still saying, no, we still do want the virtual piece too. So as we move forward, we've identified new partners, new tech partners to work with to be able to deliver this type of experience. That's smart. I think getting the right partners where it's their area of expertise, then you create the magic, right? Which I think is really smart. And I think it's a good point. You, you, you know, you touch on like, there are some things, you know, I want to be in person for as a consumer. And there are some things I'm happy to sit on the couch in my Lululemon track pants and sit there with some popcorn and not leave the apartment, you know, like, I, and I think that we're getting smarter at how to put those hybrid um, events together. I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I touched on it a little earlier. It's something that I, I do want to kind of come back and double down on. I, I have enormous respect for how you have walked in the shoes of many of the talent that you want to tell their stories for. Like you have been in front of the camera and on stage. And, and how do you think that makes you a better executive? Well, that's an interesting question. So um, I think in the theatre, particularly in the theatre, it's an incredible collaborative environment. No one can be an actor on their own. You cannot. You need a playwright. You need a director. You need the other actors. You have to listen. You have to be collaborative, even when you don't like the people. <laughs> okay? Because you are on stage with that person and you are just out there alone with that person and you become very dependent on one another. It's a true team environment and it's a, it's very much becomes like a family. So that has helped me as an executive to understand the team environment that we need each other, you know? And also I think personally being an actor, uh, it's made me fearless it, on, on some level. I still get very afraid. I'm very afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it has made me, I, I can't get so, I mean, I've been personally rejected. I've been, I've been through so much as an actor, any actor, who, anybody who's had a professional career as an actor has been through a lot to get there. And you just don't take this so seriously. You know, it, it, I, you don't take it personally when someone says, I'm not going to buy an ad with you. I think that's great. And and I think too, when, you know, like when I, when I've mentioned your name, when I've been speaking to people in the industry, there's always an enormous respect. And also because you are a bit of a unicorn in the sense that you have done both sides of the camera. And I think that that's something that I just wanted to call out because I think it, it does 
set you apart and above. I'm a, you know, you. I'm a huge fan. Well, I want to ask, can I ask you a question? Uh, sure. Okay. Hit so me. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> oh, so, the camera, it's turning. I'm turning. Yeah. I'm turning. Cause I really, I would rather ask questions than answer them, but you know, you have had such a fascinating career as a leader. And I, and when I talk to my team, I'm always telling them, you know, you got to go beyond yourself. This is something I learned from, I worked at about four or five startups, one startup in particular, go beyond yourself, go beyond yourself. And take calculated risks and overcome challenges. So you yourself, you told me about when you enrolled in Harvard. How have you as a leader applied, you know, that uh, methodology of going beyond? Yeah, no, thank you. You know, I, and when I applied for Harvard, I, I it was a, a dream as as part of my wanting to live in, in America. And so when I got accepted, it was just, you know, it's almost like when you wish for something and you actually get it, it's like, oh my gosh, no, I have to go. I have to fulfill this. I got the chance now. Like it was, Do it. It, yeah. And it was really, um, right, right, right. It, was, it was really overwhelming in a positive way. But when I turned up, I remember thinking someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, oh, we made a mistake. Like I just was so, um, just, and you know, just, it, it was really quite, um, when I walked in and, and, you know, most of the room were men and, and the average age was um, mid to late forties. And I was in my mid thirties. And I saw that as soon as I walked in, you know, I lived on campus and in my group, there was seven guys and me. And, and it was just the whole time I was kind of, I mean, Harvard did a good job to, to make sure everybody felt comfortable. It was nothing like that. It was more like I was a minority voice as a woman and, and as someone who lived in Australia at the time. And um, Australian politics is very different um, to the U S. And so when they were um, looking for class president, there was actually like a campaign and people voted and it was a big thing. And I I just kind of, I, you know, I was nominated to be class president and they were like, Linda, not very many women have have had that before. And, and, and they were checking it, but I think it was like only maybe at the time one other Australian woman. And um, when I was told that I was class president, um, I, I mean, I just, it was just the most incredible feeling of excitement and fear and could I do this like you know what would I say and you know I, I I practiced my speech a lot and what my theme of my speech was which has become a mantra for my life is family and health first and it was because I'd lost my dad um when I felt like he, he should not have died of a heart attack and I lost my brother in um 2014 but at the time he he was alive and he said to me you know, you, you, you got to do this. You got to embrace it. Like it's something that, you know, we're all kind of supporting you about. And I started with, um, in my speech, thanking everybody's families because we all had full-time jobs and most people had families and that they supported us to be able to go away and do this at Harvard for months was just an extraordinary show of support and grace and, and love for those that were able to do it at Harvard. So my whole speech was around those that support you and you stand on the shoulders of, and if you ask my team, They'll always say to you, like, I will always say um, health and family first. And, and family for each person is very different. A lot of my friends are my family. And, and I still to this day um, speak to that that level of commitment to individuals and, and then how you come together as a team because you won't forget the meeting, but you'll forget if you weren't at your child's end of your play. You know, you won't forget being on a call, but you will forget if you didn't see your child take their first day at school if you had the option to do something like that. And I never want work to be in the way of people having those those moments, which I think are super important right. in someone's life. And so when I think about Harvard, it, it taught me to be confident that the biggest doubt in the room was my own, 
Um, it was me who was doubting myself. Like, did I deserve to be there? And when I was a kid, you know, my dad would always say, like, you know, you're going to be able to do anything, baby. And if you don't, it's because your own self-doubt will get in the way, you know. And I and I saw my hesitation um, and nerves when I was at Harvard, but I walked away feeling incredibly confident and that I had accomplished something that was a dream that I just was phenomenal for me. And then it kind of set me up as a more confident leader. You know, I, I, I loved my time there and, and I do think it has, it grounds me. And sometimes when I have these overwhelming moments, I'll think about when I took those steps on that stage to give my graduation speech and, I, and it, it's calming. It's almost like meditating yeah. for me now. Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I mean, that's such a great story too, because so many times though, that feeling, and I don't know if this is just women that feel straight, because I've, I've heard men say this too, that feeling that I'm a little bit, like you said, they're going to say I made a mistake. Like you almost feel like, am I, am I really a little bit of a fraud here? <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's yeah. not true. It's just your own self-doubt. Voice. Obviously it's not true. It's your own self-doubt and, yeah. and, and self-doubt does get in in your way, even when I was an actor too, like going on in auditions, you have to be very relaxed. You can't doubt yourself, but it's so easy to do that. And that's how you, you trip yourself up. But that's a great story, Linda, and a huge accomplishment. I mean, that is a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. And I, yeah, yeah I, I just loved it. And, you know, I, I do think sometimes it does feel like it's more of something that we can help other women with. And I know you place a strong emphasis on nurturing and hiring women and so what does the, you know, what does the phrase empower women, empower women? And I think you actually say something like empowered women, empower women. And I kind of like that because it feels like it's a pay it forward kind of phrase to me. But what does that, well, how do you live that in your daily life? So whoever has the power has a duty and an obligation to pass it on, right? You can't hoard the power. You have to share the power and you have to, you have to inspire and help and rise and, and nurture, but you can't empower if you don't, you can't inspire if you don't hire. <laughs> so the very first step is we must hire women. We have to hire them. Yeah. And, you know, Variety is, is, is female led. I'm very proud of that. Yeah. The editor in chief is a woman. The co-editor in chief is a woman. The CEO is a woman. The associate publisher is a woman. The SVP of sales is a woman. Everybody's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've done an excellent job hiring women. But it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I worked in ad tech. Mm. I was the only woman in the room in some cases, not every company I worked for. And I think, you know, we've gotten better at this. But if you look at some organ, you know, if you look at organizations, it's still very male dominated. I mean, you're a CMO of a bank. Yeah. That's pretty rare. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a really good observation. Like I came from the other side as well. I, I was a frontline banker and often I was the lady in the room with a, with a bunch of men. And, um, you know, it's really refreshing to be at City National Bank where, you know, Kelly Coffey is our CEO and we have a, a huge, That's right. she's one of only a handful though of, of women that run banks in, in the United States. And she's done a phenomenal job um, building diversity. You know, like when the workforce was losing women during COVID, we increased our workforce of women by 7%. And it's something that we're very focused on. And, wow. and I, you know, I have this big belief, I know you and I have spoken about this offline, like you've got to make sure the the team that you have reflects the communities and clients you serve. And that means you have to have diversity. Otherwise you're not serving all of your clients and, and the communities. 
it's 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 um I think it's saying that we need to keep top of um the conversation because there's while work has been done to your point there's still a lot of work that needs to be done like a lot of companies still have you know some some work to do here what are some qualities that you think make a great female leader empathy yeah I think it makes any any leader great right because while you may disagree with someone you've got to be able to see their viewpoint and you've got to be able to put yourself in the position. And when someone says to you, this is challenging, you've got to understand why they think it's challenging in order to fix the challenge. But I think that leaders that are empathetic are the best leaders because people, you want to work for someone like that, right? So empathetic leaders have higher retention rates. People work longer hours for people that are empathetic and they're happier at work. So I think that is the number one quality. You know, it's really interesting because only the other week someone said to me, hey, Linda, your your family and first, you know, your health first, this this mantra that you have is is very, it shows a very strong um, quality around empathy. And it's interesting because I do think if I really ask my team to do something, they know that I would have weighed the pros and cons of asking them, especially if I was to ring someone like on a Sunday morning because something had happened, say, to a digital platform. They know that I have tried every other alternative before I've had to ring someone on in their own time. And people will lift when they know their leader's got their back, which I think is it's absolutely really true. Important. That is that is really, really true. Yeah. When you know that the person that you report to is fighting for you, trying to get you the most money, trying yeah. to get you the best plan, and trying to actually advance your career. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You'll stick around. True. Um, what what is the impact that allyship can have on women's advancement? I think this is such such an interesting question. Well, I think that in order to affect change in, or in an organization, women have to come together and we have to share our stories with each other. We cannot keep secrets. So in order for us to change, we have to understand one another. And, you know, going back to ad tech, I, I, I remember once I felt like... This organization is really like there's not a lot of women here. There's not a lot of women in, in power. It feels a little misogynistic to me. I felt a lot misogynistic to me. But anyway, <laughs> and then one day I thought, eh, it must just be me. Quietly, quietly, some of the other women would tell me. One, one woman told me, I go in the bathroom and I cry every day. And then another woman told me they wouldn't give me this job because I I have two kids and they hired, they said, I couldn't do the job because I have kids. And then they hired a guy with kids to be my boss. And no one had been talking about this, right? It was quiet. So like if we had all come together and voiced how we were feeling, it it was a very good company, but there were not a lot of women working there. And if we had been more vocal, we could have affected change and, and we could have, you know, I ended up leaving, but we, we, instead of leaving, we could have made it a little better. It's, you know, it's, it's such a good point because I think something that men do really well that, that I think we can learn from as a gender is this, what we call mateship, like this friendship across them. They talk, they, they share their stories. And, yeah. and I think sometimes, and I'll speak for my, myself, I feel like saying that I need a hand is not seen as a positive. It could be seen as a weakness. Now, I will say working for Kelly, I've never felt that. Right. But you're you're trying to change a lifetime of habits just because, you know, you have this amazing, and I've had lots of great bosses in my life, but when you have these things, that's why we have to work extra hard at it, I think, as women, because it doesn't come naturally to us. Right. 
I think that's true. Also, I think sometimes, maybe not now so much, but I think there used to be this feeling that there's only room for one woman at the table. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, I personally have been in that position where I was the only woman. Yeah. So are they hiring just one woman? So does that mean only one woman gets to be promoted only? And then that sets up like a competition thing. We're at Variety. There's everybody's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have that problem. Yeah. So, um, and I think that could be a, a little, like maybe there's still a little bit of that, you know, line, uh, under underneath yeah. some of these uh, conversations. But I, I also think there's sort of a generational thing. Like women from... Previous generations, like the Dawn Steels, she was a big producer, and they, in order to, to for them to make change happen, they had to be like really hard driving, right? And now I think this has shifted a little. We don't have to be so hard. We can be more ourselves. We can be more relaxed about being assertive. But there's definitely room for more than one woman at the table, and we have to stop thinking there's only room for one woman. Yeah, and you know what? It's so interesting. I remember once speaking at an event and it was a, a panel for on women about advancing women and how do you create more opportunities for women. And I remember walking on the stage with a, a very dear friend of mine and she was really excited. The room was full and she was really pumped up. And I said, we kind of failed. And she said, why? And I said, because there's only women in the room. They're not the people we have to like change the minds of right now. Men are making the decisions. We need men, more men in the room to hear us talking, to hear what we need, which is you don't right. you don't tick the box when you have one woman at the table. Right. You've got to get more diversity. You've got to look at like you're, you're, the people making the decisions have to look like the clients you serve and the communities you serve. And and I think like, you know, and I, I see that at Variety, you know, I see it at City National Bank. So it's hard sometimes. And, and I'd say even for me, frustrating, but I don't see it elsewhere. It's like, it's not that hard. Look look at like companies that are hugely successful. And so it, it's definitely, um, I think, something that we need to keep at top of mind and, and right. have a conversation with both men and women to make sure that those decision makers realize the lost opportunity if you don't have diversity at the table. And diversity of thought, diversity of gender, culture, everything, right? Like I know you guys have that as well. And it's just super important. Let's do a little pivot to the future of content. Yeah. Um, businesses are constantly adapting to consumers' di- digital savviness to better understand them and serve their needs. In recent years, we've seen skincare brands, alcohol brands, they've all launched their own kind of in-house content studios to keep pace with a digital world that demands fresher, more original content in a really fast kind of way, much faster than before. With all of this kind of evolution, what will branded content look like in the next few years? Well, I think it's only going to continue to grow. So a well-crafted story con, you know, cuts through the clutter and connects the consumer to the brand. So what potentially could happen is I think th- that this branded storytelling is going to become more and more and more and more sophisticated and that maybe it'll get to the point where we'll have like Oscar winning directors directing branded content as movies. And maybe let's say uh, a director is going to tell this very inspirational story. And this very inspirational story matches up with maybe what a sneaker brand's inspirational story is. That sneaker brand could underwrite the cost of the movie. So that movie making gets paid for by advertising the same way, you know, like commercials on TV, but it's more subtle. I think that it's just, it's only going to continue to grow and evolve. I mean, that's super exciting. I think that that kind of opens up the playing field. And when 
Now, how do you keep variety ahead of the curve and manage to pivot on a dime or at a moment's notice when you, when you think about that being our future? Well, so one of the things that we do, first of all, we write about this. But like I go to a lot of conferences, like I'm sure you do too, and you hear what people are talking about. And so it's sort of trying to decide, well, what is a trend and what is really going to happen? You know, and then we just have to continually push ourselves to get on it. Like we're on the NFTs. I mean, we're a little late to the NFT bandwagon, I have to say. (laughs) But but, I mean, we're a little late. But, um, you know, what's going on in the metaverse, right? Where is our place in all of this? Do we establish variety land in the metaverse? These are the questions that we have to answer and figure out quickly. We just have to keep thinking. Yeah, and you know know what? I think like, you know, you throw things on the wall, not everything sticks, but I think that kind of thinking and that approach to it, I think is really important. Now, can you offer some tips on what it takes to drive real customer value and trust in today's really crowded media landscape? Yes, you have to have an authentic voice and you have to have an honest voice, right? You have to put out a product. Everything always comes back to our editorial. We produce a product that people trust and they have been reading for 117 years, right? So that if you continue to be true to who you are, right? That's the number one. When you're trying to brand yourself, you have to know thyself. We know who our brand is and we we show up, we produce great a great product. We listen to what our clients and our customers want and we give it to them. We're consistent in our delivery of excellence. <laughs> I love that. I heard consistency. I heard honesty. I heard excellence. All things that I Trust, would associate yeah. with Variety and with you. Dale Lawrence, you. I, you know, I adore you. I have Thank huge you. I respect you for you professionally and personally. You are just someone who, from day one of me taking this role, helped me navigate and understand the complexities of the entertainment industry and that you gave us your time today. Thank you so much, my friend. You are amazing. Thank you, Linda. You are too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Daya. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our conversation series today. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll subscribe to Conversations so you'll never miss an episode. We have lots of great guests this season who will inform and inspire you. 